Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me to break down the Seahawks' 27-24 overtime win against the San Francisco 49ers, Field Goals Editor Mookie Alexander. Mookie, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Brandon. I just got to put down my oxygen mask. Um, <laughs> geez, that was that was a game for the ages. There are so many things that you could discuss out of that game. You, you could go on for hours at a time uh, for a game that went the full 70 minutes. That was unreal. It was great if you were neutral to watch that. Uh, if you were a partisan fan, if you were pulling for the Seahawks or pulling for the Niners, that was about as stressful as it could possibly get for a regular season game. And it it felt it didn't really even feel like a regular season game the way it was going back and forth. I've never seen a 49ers crowd quite like that so into the game. So congratulations to them. And it was just it was kind of an electric night and and it was difficult to watch in the sense that you you had the expectation that Russell Wilson was going to lead the team down on so many different times and and get the game winner, and yet the the defense on the other side would just come through. The 49ers miss a kick in overtime that would have given them the win with their backup kicker. Gosh, you have Jadevian Clowney having a huge game. You have you know the, these incredible calls that could have gone either way and, and just great plays by defenses. I, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to start either. <laughs> I, mean, I guess we could start with how the the dreadful start because it looked like they were just going to run the Seahawks out of the building in the first quarter. And of course we're used to, all right, Seattle's going to make this comeback because they, they, they start slow quite often, but this game did feel for the, for the first 16 minutes or so, like the, the Seahawks just had nothing on offense. And then defensively, it was really just Jamar Taylor getting picked apart and, and just extending drives by himself with mm-hmm. missed tackles and blown coverages and a penalty that negated a Shaquille Griffin interception. But the one positive that we saw out of that first several minutes where they had to really weather the storm was that the pass rush was clearly getting to Jimmy Garoppolo and the run defense, other than I think one Coleman run that went for 20-something yards. uh, They were winning the trench battle against that uh, 49ers offensive line. And for a much maligned defensive line, that was by far their best game of the season. And um, I I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, The defense kept the Seahawks in this game for as long as possible until the offense started to wake up. Well, and that was one of the comments after the game, too. Bobby Wagner clearly trying to get the defense fired up. He knew that the 49ers had been talked about as one of the best defenses in the league, and and he said he wanted to show that the Seahawks could hang with them. And that defensive line, we have not... Where has that defensive line been for the first eight games of the season. This is the first time where you, you actually see the type of talent that they have with Jaron Reed, with Jadevian Clowney getting to the quarterback and just wreaking havoc as much as he did. Jaron Reed had the well the first score by the Seahawks. You, you talk about how slowly the offense started. It wasn't until the sack fumble by Jaron Reed, Jadevian Clowney picks up the ball and takes it into the end zone, and that puts the Seahawks behind just 10-7. And at that point, it felt like Seattle might be able to get back into the game after going three and out on a couple of their early drives. Yeah, Clowney was out out of this world. I mean, just that game alone should be grounds to re-sign him. Yes. Um, between him and Jaron Reed, I think he's finally getting into it because, of course, we know why he got suspended six games for uh, violating the, the domestic violence policy, I think. And uh, the way that Reed disrupts offensive lines with his interior pass rush is just special. And, of course, we were wondering how effective would Reed be 
with Frank Clark gone. And because, of course, that was a career year that Reed had last season. And he was phenomenal as well. I mean, he got the strip sack, Clowney scooped and scored. Uh, and, you know, with Clowney's stat line, the five tackles, one sack, five quarterback hits, and, of course, a fumble return touchdown. Um, Booger McFarland, in a way, was right. He, the, the stats don't do Clowney's performance justice. Yeah, you that look at that and you say one sack, but wasn't he just all over Garoppolo the entire night? But he did He did create the one sack for Al Woods early on and, you know, being there. He was – he just – he screwed up so many plays too of, uh, for the 49ers, whether he's getting his hands up and just, you know, getting in the passing lane in front of Garoppolo. It was, he just had such a huge impact on this game. Yeah. It's the little things like there was on the field goal that made it 21, 21 in the fourth quarter. Uh, you, there was, I think a quick slant or, or, you know, some quick out that Clowney jumped in the air and made Garoppolo pull the ball down and Al Woods ended, ended up getting a sack. Right. So of course, the sack is credited to Woods, but that, in a way, is Clowney's sack. And you can see the impact that he can make at his absolute best. And, you know, this defense, their best performance of the season prior to tonight against San Francisco was probably the Cardinals game, and they still had negative EPA out of that. <laughs> um, so this is probably going to be the first time all season that they're on the positive side of things for expected points added. And really, quarters two through four, and then pretty much the, the whole overtime period, that was that felt like your classic Seahawks defense from yesteryear. And it's not just Clowney, too. I thought the secondary, outside of Jamar Taylor, and even Taylor actually made some plays in the second half, mm-hmm. the secondary, I think, also had its best game of the season. And not coincidentally, it comes with Quandre Diggs having uh, the ideal first game as a Seahawk. You got the interception. He had those a lot of big, jarring hits. He looks like somebody who, who would fits in uh, a Legion of Boom secondary, a Legion of Boom relaunch, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, he was a difference maker, and it was obvious. And he did have a missed tackle early on in the game, I think on the 130-yard uh, reception by Debo Samuel, where he took Trey Flowers out of the game for a little bit. And so that was the one unfortunate play. But he was there, and it, it just so many times when Tedrick Thompson was on the field, you you just you didn't notice him anywhere in the picture. But with Diggs, it seemed like, on so many tackles, he was coming up to make the play, and, and he really was a difference maker in the secondary. And, you know, how they're going to balance that with with Blair and with McDougal in there, it seemed like they were mostly going Diggs and McDougal, at least from what I could tell most of the time out on the field. Yeah, I didn't see Marquise Blair out there a whole lot, but uh, I, I still like to think that they'll put Marquise Blair in there, you know, in, in a situational role because I think he's earned some snaps. Yeah, yeah he's, he's looked the part of an NFL player and not like a totally out of his depth rookie. Uh, but Diggs is a veteran and he flies to the ball. Basically all three of those safeties, McDougal, uh, Blair and Diggs, uh, really fly to the ball in a way that Tedrick Thompson just hasn't. And of course, Tedrick's on IR. So it's really moot point just continuing to beat up on him given his, his struggles. <laughs> but the, the, I know I should he, lay off. I, I hear you. I, I need to lay off Tedrick Thompson now that, now that he's out. <laughs> But you, you got to focus on how well the safety side of things looks for uh, for with the Diggs McDougal pairing, and I think it also helps the corners in that sense um, because the, when we've seen Thompson and and McDougal out there, or if it's Lano Hill out there, uh, the secondary looks drastically worse. So in a post Earl Thomas post Cam Chancellor era. You get Diggs on a, on a good contract for the time being, and McDougal has got like two more years on his contract counting this season. Uh, that looks like the ideal starting safety pair for the rest of the season. And in case something happens to either one of them, 
Marquise Blair fits in just fine. So you have we have to be stoked about that uh, on the defensive side of the ball. As much as the defense has looked so bad for much of the year, like I said earlier, this felt like one of those Seahawks defenses from 2012, 2013, 2014. And maybe, the, you know, the Niners offense was missing guys. Kittle didn't play. Sanders got hurt. Uh, Coleman was dinged up and then he came back. Matt Breida got hurt, but he wasn't effective even when healthy. Both their tackles dealing with injuries, too. I think they were both questionable going into the game. Exactly. But, you know, this was also a Seahawks defense that was getting lit up by Matt Schaub and Andy Dalton. So (laughs) to see this happen. I'm feeling good about it. And they left plays out on the field, too, Mookie. There were I I just looked to the closing out the game. You know, Trey Flowers had a potential interception right before the game tying field goal that that could have kept points off the board for the 49ers. K.J. Wright dropped a game ceiling interception on the on the ensuing 49ers tying drive. Uh, you had there were other plays too. Like you brought up the the penalty on Jamar Taylor that Shaq Griffin could have had an interception that would have you know given the Seahawks excellent field position early on in the game. So they left plays out there as well as the great plays that we saw from them to to keep the Seahawks in the in this game. Yeah, you could argue that even the stat lines for the for the 49ers side of the box score that doesn't do Seattle's defensive performance enough justice. Jimmy Garoppolo officially threw one interception. He threw two because Griffin's pick got called back. He could have thrown five or six. Yeah. And, you know, it could have also been more because the Niners receivers are just dropping passes like no tomorrow. Uh, that Sanders injury was so huge because other than Debo Samuel, those other guys were just not up to par. But still, uh, Seattle really needed turnovers. They, need, they needed game-changing plays. Unfortunately, the Seahawks offense gave the Niners some game-changing plays of their own. But to hold that Niners rushing attack to 87 yards on 27 carries – that is really terrific play in the trenches. And then in the secondary, they really did not give up too many big plays, you know, outside of the first few minutes. I was, when it got to 10 nothing in the blink of an eye, I was just ready to see Ken Norton's pink slip and then we wouldn't see him after the bye week. But this is a way to, to salvage things in a way. And hopefully this is the defense we see moving forward because all we need on a night like this where the Seahawks offense really shot themselves in the foot on multiple occasions and they weren't great and we shouldn't have expected that because the Niners defense is absolutely for real. But if the defense can be better, if the special teams can be better, if they can just be league average, I'll take league average over what we've seen the previous several weeks of the season, then you have a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And at 8-2 and two, and having a close win over a great team compared to these close wins over bad teams, that's what would make you start to believe that Seattle's got something cooking here. I don't think anybody, not even the most optimistic Seahawks fan, could have looked at this schedule at, at the start of the year and thought, at the bye week, they're going to be 8-2. and two. <laughs> Not even a chance. Not even the most optimistic fans. They're, yeah, you're, you're right on there. So it's good to be there. The, the, Pete Carroll now has his 10th win in a row going into the bye week. And that's it's weird. It's not a stat that you normally hear. You you usually hear about teams coming out of their bye week. But it's, it's an interesting stat that Pete Carroll has his team finishing strong going into the bye week year after year after year. Yeah, I did not know that stat before you brought it up. That is a remarkable statistic, and that means we're always on a you know on the high of a victory as they leave us for two weeks. So yes. at least this weekend's just going to be we're we're caught in the worst world possible because I want to see the Seahawks play every week. But on the other hand, 
the nerve shredding style of their play in particular this season, <laughs> it gives you the, the, you got to weigh your options here. I could use a week off from this Seahawks drama. I know. I, I think we need to look into like potentially like a CBD sponsor for the podcast or, uh, you know, any of the legal dispensaries. That was, uh, we need all of those things and it's legal up out in this side of the country. So right, yeah, <laughs> need yes, on that. this is, yeah, we, we definitely need to get on it. I, I imagine that some 49ers fans are, are probably in the mood for some of that after the way uh, they saw their first loss of the season at home. This was probably the biggest game that they've had at, at that stadium uh, since it opened up in 2014, and they could have put it away. Uh, I don't really want to get on their, their rookie kicker who was signed off the street to who yeah. badly shanked that field goal because he made the field goal that sent it to overtime, and he made it easily. Those things happen, and that is also an awful field that they play on. Every single one of those was just right down the middle, those those first three, and I, each time I'm going, oh, this is pretty long for a, a rookie kicker in a, a pressure-type situation, especially the one to tie it up to send it into overtime. And yeah, he kicked it right down the middle. And uh, and J- how about Jason Myers getting the chance at redemption after missing three kicks last week against Tampa Bay? Oh yes, this was a redemption moment for Jason Myers. Maybe this is a, this is uh, kind of like his Janikowski moment from last year because Janikowski had a really bad start to uh, 2018. Yeah, and then he missed two kicks in the Cardinals game, and then in that same game gets the the game winner uh, right at the end. So for Myers, that Tampa Bay game was by far as worse as a Seahawks. And frankly, all the statistics uh, for Myers were very unflattering. Like if they if he wasn't on such a big contract, they could have cut him, but. Pete Carroll is willing to trust his guys almost to a fault. And it's a huge credit to Myers that he made, first of all, the go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter. I really wish that Seattle didn't settle for that field goal there. But, <laughs> I had that down to ask you about that because that was it was one of those moments where you, you could even feel Pete Carroll just grappling with that decision as he sends Russell Wilson out onto the field and they don't even have time to do a hard count and he takes a timeout. They use their final timeout in the fourth quarter and then they send Jason Myers back on and uh, fortunately he makes the kick because holy smokes, to, if we have to go through another week of, and I, I we can still question the decision making, but if Myers misses it and they're in that same type of situation where you know, the statistics are pretty favorable for going for it. That was a call by Pete that had the ability to be questioned, and it sounds like you were definitely for going for it in that situation. I would have gone for it. Or, of course, the problem with trying to draw them off sides is the, the risk of a – well, they, they still had a timeout left at the time. I think that they were trying to draw them offside, and then they realized they'd lined up with like seven on the play clock. So they ended up having to burn that last timeout. Right. Both coaches, I think, actually mismanaged the end of that game. I was surprised that Kyle Shanahan um, kind of conceded just going for a field goal on that game, tying drive uh, at the end of regulation. There, were, there really wasn't much of an effort to actually – go into the end zone and they had to scramble just to uh, spike the ball and get it, uh, get into field goal range and get the, uh, the tying kick away to force overtime. But the process there for Myers is go ahead, kick in the fourth quarter. I had the worst feeling that they were just going to run it with Chris Carson three times and then hope they get a first down. And unfortunately they didn't. And to make matters worse, Seattle should have been called for delay a game on that third down. Yeah. I, I was hoping for it that, that at least third and six, they couldn't dare run the ball again. And, you know, <laughs> a first down would have, 
made San Francisco use another timeout, and they would have run the clock down to close to to no time left, and then they could have kicked the winning field goal. But it works out in a way for Myers to get the redemption to kick in the go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter and having to kick the game winner twice in overtime because he made it the first time easily. But Kyle Shanahan, taken after his dad, of course, believes in icing the kicker, even though there is, I don't think, any statistical evidence to suggest that it actually works. And then that second one, it just squeezed through and... I must have had a personal best in my vertical leap when that kick was went through the uprights. <laughs> the Seahawks get the win. They go to 8-2 and two on the season. And we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and discuss more of this game coming up after the break. Chatting with Mookie Alexander, editor at Field Goals. By the time you're hearing this, I'm sure we'll have an enemy reaction coming up. Those are always fun, especially after a win like this, Mookie. Yeah, this enemy reaction is going to be uh, an interesting one to do. I probably have to split it in two parts and do it on Wednesday uh, because there's just so many screenshots you got to go through. And also, many of you might not know this, or many of you were on field goals and trying to comment. Uh, SB Nation, we were down for pretty much the whole of the second quarter. Ooh. So that was a problem for me writing up the game. And then trying, we didn't have a second quarter game thread up. So I don't know how the screenshots are going to look for that. But all those 49ers tears that you were dying to just drink up, you're going to get that opportunity later this week. It, it was, and I would have done it anyway if this game had ended in a tie just because of the, the unusual nature of the Seahawks in a tie game with a division rival again, uh, just like the Arizona game. But to have a win... And to give San Francisco their first loss of the season in their stadium, Russell Wilson is now what four and one there, five and one. Wow! So, and this is also fitting because last year against a much much worse 49ers team, they ended up dropping a very winnable game in overtime to in San overtime. Francisco. Yeah. So and it goes full circle on them. 49ers fans, though, they you know when I when I think about that enemy reaction. There's probably some big celebration moments for 49ers fans because I think about right at the end of the first half, DK Metcalf trying to stay in bounds, trying to make a play, almost getting down into the end zone, ends up getting stripped by Tart uh, as he's going toward the end zone, kind of falling forward and and just a, a really solid play. But gosh, you hope that Metcalf could hold on to the football in that situation. And then the Seahawks are set up just right near the goal line once again with a chance to take the lead before the half. Yeah, I'm not going to get on Metcalf for that fumble because it was amazing that he even got to the one-yard line in the right. first place. He is a tank, and he is so hard to take down. That is just a phenomenal play by uh, Jaquaski Tart. That is uh, a, you know, a game-changing play. It could have been, I guess you could say, uh, but Seattle won anyway. But you know, it's still a huge change in, in, in the way the course of the game played out. And for Metcalf, he had a couple of drops. He had that fumble, and yet he still had six catches for 70 yards. So you'll take a couple of those those you know lesser plays, unfortunate plays, as long as you can get production like that. And um, you know, for I Seattle, think the, I think for Metcalf, yeah. the the one I struggle with the most was that third and short in overtime, where Russell Wilson throws and it the corners there. Uh, you know, playing pretty good defense, but Metcalf had the chance. He had his hands on the ball, and to not come down with that, if the 49ers don't go three and out right after that incompletion to Metcalf right near midfield and Seattle doesn't get the ball back, I think we're looking at that play by Metcalf as saying, you know, that was that was an easy catch. you got to make those. 
Yeah, it still looks like Metcalf has some issues with tight one-on-one coverage. Like like the big play he had against Tampa Bay, uh, the back shoulder catch. Yeah. You know, he, he got face masks, but that was dropped in a bucket for him. But those jump ball type situations, I still think that they got some uh, things to work out there. But again, he's a rookie. And on a night when Lockett ended up finishing the game hurt and on the sidelines with a lower leg contusion, and hopefully it's nothing much more serious than that. Uh, you can tell that Wilson trusts Metcalf a lot. And I think as Metcalf continues to improve, like what we're getting now is a really good receiver. And if he continues to get better, then he might end up being the number one option over, over Lockett down the line just because of his, his frame and his ability to uh, make moves happen in the open field and break tackles. I'm excited by his uh, development. But, you know, for the Niners, they they were certainly going after the ball. And, even though the Seahawks don't have a lot of turnovers per se, uh, the lost fumbles is an unwelcome development because they've lost more fumbles this year than the previous two seasons combined. In fact, they're second in the league now in lost fumbles wow. with 11. And we were thinking, end of the first half, you're down 10-7, you score here, you're either tied or you're ahead going into halftime, and then you come out in the second half and you get the ball back and you could extend your lead or, you know, go from a tie ball game to taking the lead and they fumble on either side of the half. So Metcalf loses a fumble and then Rashad Penny, uh, that's the first lost fumble of his career. And he didn't get another carry for the rest of that game. Uh, so I have to imagine the coaching staff is growing impatient with Penny. Uh, you know, he, he had what two carries all game and he fumbles there. Chris Carson, I think has obviously got a lot of rope because he fumbled again tonight. Right. But this time Seattle was able to recover it. And, Russell Wilson was the other fumble when, yeah. and that was a, just a, a huge game changing play because the Seahawks are up 21 to 10, you know, up 11 points in the fourth quarter. And it kind of feels like the way they've been stifling Garoppolo that they'd kind of be able to coast. You know, they were, they were running the football with Carson. He was running hard and they're, you know, starting to roll the play clock a little bit. And Russell Wilson sacked for 10 yards. He loses the football. It ends up in the hands of Jermaine Effetti and he starts running and, and, the football gets punched out, and they're able to take it in for the score. They get the two-point conversion, and all of a sudden, the 49ers are within three points of the game. That was like the Steelers game. Uh, with you, You're thinking, all right, Seattle's up by two possessions. They can get a long drive here, then that's a wrap. And instead, they turn it over. And I don't know how they're going to credit that lost fumble, if they're going to credit uh, uh, Fetty or, or, or Wilson, because Fetty He's the one who fumbled and, and the Niners recovered. Wilson yeah, fumbled. It counts first, as two fumbles. Recovered. If I if I'm look I'm looking at the play sheet and it shows that Russell Wilson fumbled and then it was recovered by a Fetty and then a Fetty fumbled and it was recovered by Buckner. Yeah, that was a crazy play and God bless a Fetty, but why on earth was he even trying to run that? <laughs> like that just as soon as he got the ball, he should have been falling down right there and you just cut your losses. Don't don't try and do anything because there's a reason why you're an offensive tackle. You're not George Fant. You're not supposed to be running with the ball in the open field. Well, at first I was worried that it was a situation where he saw Russell Wilson going down and he tried to, to strip the ball away himself to try and make a play, but it just ended up in his arms. And so I think he was just surprised that all of a sudden he had the football and he's like, I got to do something with it. And uh, unfortunately it led to disaster. Yeah, it was an unwelcome game of hot potato. And Wilson also fumbled again on a, or just about fumbled on a scramble. And that was the place Solomon Thomas got hurt. And the referees for this game, uh, they were completely unacceptable. They missed the face mask on that play where Wilson was sacked. And uh, there were a couple other plays where they called... Uh, you know, helmet to helmet on one side, but they never called it when Russell Wilson was going down. It was very inconsistent. 
it was rotten. I mean, the, the officiating was so it, it was really ticky tack against Seattle. And yeah, I, I will be a sore winner here in that sense. That a lot of the calls, it felt like they were going against the Seahawks. There were a couple of calls I think that also went against the Niners. I'm not sure that spot that Mostert got was a good one on the miss kick by McLaughlin. That's sh- I think that should have been a first down, but it was just hard to tell on the on the replay. So right. they had to let the play stand. But also Carson's touchdown run. Carson leaned forward for a full second, and that was an obvious false start, and they missed that. And that's why San Francisco is pointing angrily, wondering why the whistle wasn't blown. Yeah. Um, and also, they Kyle Shannon had to use a challenge because of a, of a catch along the sidelines that was ridiculously spotted a yard short of the first down when it's clearly a first down. So Alex Kemp and his crew, uh, they were really the only truly consistently terrible thing about uh, what was otherwise a phenomenal game uh, to watch because the the inconsistencies uh, in, in terms of what's a personal foul, what's a face mask. I guess it's legal to face mask Russell Wilson or, or grab him by the collar because they could have flagged like three or four different times for, for the hits that they were delivering on Wilson. And obviously holding was something they, they weren't going to call a whole lot of either. I don't think they called a holding penalty on Seattle all night. And they only called one on San Francisco, and that was by a, a wide receiver. Right. So NFL refs, man, they always try and make themselves a story. Well, they give us something to talk about on, on nearly every game, which is, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's just, I guess, part of it. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to get into before we, we look at some of these other stats from this game, Josh Gordon gets his first catch as a, as a member of the Seahawks, and he does it in a critical third down and six. Yeah, this was a case where the uh, quote-unquote other receivers had to step up, and it's really good when Josh Gordon is one of your other receivers. Uh, like Metcalf had, had some difficulties uh, throughout the game, but like I said, six catches, 70 yards, I'll take that. Uh, Malik Turner was clutch with those two catches, especially the, the third and 16 conversion. Yes. But Josh Gordon, he had two clutch catches as well, both third down conversions, and the second one was on Richard Sherman. They threw at Sherman like, twice all game and one was broken up it was for Metcalf and then the second one Gordon ran the slant beautifully great play to gain 14 yards and get a first down so uh, on a night when Lockett was held in check and then went off uh, injured and David Moore got no targets and uh, you know Metcalf was kind of a, a mixed day I'm super hyped that Josh Gordon who barely knows the playbook at this point you would have to think uh, ends up contributing in in some form and uh i cannot wait to see how the wilson gordon chemistry develops as we head into a bye week and then you're really into the stretch run of the season because if gordon can become a viable receiving option then i think it opens things up for metcalf and lockett along the way and of course you got ed dixon coming back from injury too for on that front so you've got hollister who man he's been a revelation as a as a receiving tight end uh, Luke Wilson is injured right now, but I don't know the severity of it. You get Ed Dixon back. Inevitably, there's going to have to be an odd man out for the Seahawks wide receiving core because they got seven receivers right now. Yeah. And I'm, with Jerron Brown being in a healthy scratch night, I'm wondering if he's the casualty. If, if not him, then, you know, I, I, hope, I don't think they're going to cut Malik Turner. It might be Brown that ends up uh, being the odd man out here because there's no reason to keep seven on the roster. Yeah, and I think that's our biggest clue that it could be Jerron Brown with him being the healthy scratch among those receivers. So I would, I would definitely look for him to be the guy there. You mentioned Jacob Hollister, a solid day for him. Eight receptions, he led the team. Uh, Ten targets overall, 62 yards. A lot of those short dump-off passes, but it was Russell Wilson 
looking to Hollister on that pass to the end zone that would have given him the overtime win on that very first drive. It just, the pass is a little bit short, intercepted by Dre Greenlaw. And uh, you mentioned that they only threw Sherman's way a couple times. But uh, if I remember right, uh, just on the back end of that play to Hollister, it was Richard Sherman. So I, I have to wonder if, if Wilson was just, you know, if he, he put just not quite enough air on the football, knowing that Sherman was in that corner. Yeah, it, it, it needed more air on, on the ball. And that would have been something for Hollister to be an overtime hero for a second straight week. You know, he... he was just promoted from the practice squad because of Disley's injury. Yeah. And through two weeks, he has become a viable receiving option. You know, he's not going to be like Disley in, in, in the way we've seen Disley contribute through much of this season and then in the limited games last season, but he's like a safety valve. And he can run those seam routes like all the other times. And Brian Schottenheimer, uh, I think he has to be credited greatly for how well he has been able to scheme just about any tight end into this, into this team. Um, so you, you have Hollister. They, they've been able to get looks for Luke Wilson. Well, not tonight, but you know, in previous games. And then, of course, Disley became uh, one of the most important parts of the Seahawks offense. So we're seeing Seattle use the tight ends in ways that we've seldom saw under the Daryl Bevel offense, other than trying to make Jimmy Graham essentially a wide receiver playing tight end. So the classical use of tight end, I think Schottenheimer's always been really good at at finding ways to get them open, get them involved in the offense. That's, you know, with Dustin Keller in New York or or Jared Cook with the Rams. So now that he's got an actual elite quarterback uh, under his wing, he can make those plays happen and, and design plays for Hollister off play action or, or for Luke Wilson or for Ed Dixon. The only disappointment is that they still will not throw to George Fant. I do not get it. <laughs> throw to George Fant, you cowards. Exactly. <laughs> do it. Go route with George Fant. <laughs> it, was, it was against the 49ers uh, in last year's game where they had him running down the field. And uh, it, uh, yeah, we need to see that at some point. They, they got to break that out. But uh, looking at some of the key stats in this game, Mookie. The Seahawks on third down were 7 of 15, so 47% against that 49ers defense. Uh, the Seahawks were able to hold the 49ers to just 40% on their third downs. Of course, they did stop them on a fourth down on defense in this game, too. Held the 49ers to just 302 yards. So at, at, we've been talking about an excellent job by the defense and only holding them to 87 yards rushing, especially a team that had run the ball so well to this point in the season. Yeah, the, the third downs, they started off like one for six or something like that. So it was three for nine, and then they finished with four of their last six. Uh, you know, the key for me is that a lot of those third downs are third and manageable. Yeah. They did not pigeonhole themselves. They did not put themselves in third and forever, and it ends up being a give-up play. And funnily enough, one of the, the last third down conversions they had, it was the first possession overtime of third and 16. But, of course, they've missed a couple of third and ones and third and twos, but just the fact that they got there to me is a victory in itself. Um, so Seattle picked it up on third down. They did really well stopping the Niners on, on third down after that sluggish start. And those are the key areas you got to win. And they lost the turnover battle tonight. And they they were minus one. And I think that's the most turnovers the Seahawks have had in a game in, a, in what, since the Green Bay game, maybe? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. the, the, the 38-10 in, in 2016. And to come out of that with a W... You, you will take that a hundred times out of a hundred. So this this game was really just back and forth. The the ebb and flow was was the the highest of highs uh, in, in terms of drama in the NFL. It did feel like a playoff game, as you said, and ultimately the Seahawks are still in second place in the division. 
<laughs> but they're still in control of their destiny now because if you win out, if the 49ers, with that coming down, it's kind of feeling like that week 17 game against the 49ers is going to be pretty important. Yeah, it might decide the NFC West at, at this rate. And we talk about the Seahawks having the toughest schedule left, but let's not forget the Niners have got Arizona this Sunday, and Arizona might not be any good, but they gave them a great game last week, and they could be competitive again this weekend. They have Green Bay, Baltimore, New Orleans, and the Rams again. And I know the Rams are, are you know teetering towards, towards missing the playoffs altogether, but that's still a division rival. And then they end the year at Seattle. That's a tough schedule. And you can't and, even count out the Falcons who just beat the Saints yeah. this last weekend. Exactly. Atlanta just went on the road to beat New Orleans, and they blew them out, essentially. They won by 17. So uh, so Atlanta is at San Francisco in December as well. So as long as Seattle's within striking distance, they've got the tiebreaker at the moment. They just need to be, at worst, one game back of San Francisco heading into Week 17. And if they win that game, they're in not, not only in the, in the NFC West driver's seat as, as champions, but I'm almost certain that it also means a first-round bye. Another big win in prime time for Pete Carroll and uh, a lot to look forward to at fieldgoals.com. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of people go there and join the excitement of this win. Fieldgoals.com, check it out. And, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast at sbnation.com slash NFL podcast. Mookie, if they want to follow you on Twitter, uh, where do they go? Uh, they follow me at Mookie Alexander. I would not recommend scrolling through my timeline for 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 that evening because I was just a <laughs> roller coaster of emotions. Uh, but still, yeah, you can follow me there at Mookie Alexander. And by the way, five and zero on the road for the Seahawks. So all these people who say they're not the same away from CenturyLink Field, yeah, you're right. They're even better on the road than they are at home this year. Yes, it, it, unfortunately, uh, Russell Wilson's road streak of a quarterback rating of 110 or higher did come to an end in this game, but I think for the win, for it being in San Francisco, uh, I, I will take a win over San Francisco 100 out of 100 times, no matter how they get there, and uh, another big win, the first time that the Seahawks in franchise history have gone 5-0 and to start the season on the road. Yep, and you know what? Philadelphia is next after that, and I don't know if they're going to be. By the time this podcast comes up, we will know if Seattle at Philly remains a Sunday night game because they could flex in the Packers 49ers. I think Seattle's win might have kept them on Sunday night football because now that they don't have the undefeated angle for the Niners anymore, mm. uh, Seattle-Philly is still a huge game for both teams. Yeah, Philly needs to keep up. We, we need to root for Philly to keep on winning. Uh, so that is a, is a more meaningful game because this stretch of primetime games for the Seahawks is going to be fun. Mookie, thanks for coming on the show and uh, recapping the game with me. And we'll look forward to that enemy reaction, uh, maybe a two-parter this week. Yep, thanks for having me on, Brendan, and go Hawks. Go Hawks.